Welcome to the Success IQ Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 126. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Yep, you guessed it. I hope you are having an amazing week. So we have got a great guest on the show. And in fact, it is the last guest of the season. So David Hauser. Now, David is a serial entrepreneur, speaker and inspiring author who's best known as co-founder and CEO of Grasshopper, the virtual telephone service acquired by Citrix for $176 million. Today, he shifted his optimization focus to the world of health and fitness, sharing his own journey of transformation in the book Unstoppable, Four Steps to Transform Your Life. In his book, David documents the micro-adjustments he made to his own lifestyle, busting myths and around fad dieting and trending workouts. Today, we'll hear some of the most important lessons he's learned along the way, as well as the lifestyle changes we can each make to achieve optimal health. So this is really going to help you create and live an exceptional life. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So David, before we really get started on the um, on the interview, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's brought you to this point today? Yeah, sure. So um, I have a really uh, interesting background. So I spent the last uh, 15 years building and growing uh, tech companies. So um, one of those was Grasshopper, a uh, virtual phone system for entrepreneurs, built that from zero to $30 million a year in revenue, 45 employees and no outside funding uh, before I sold it uh, two years ago. So that was 12 years into the business, uh, the easy overnight success, as they would say. Um, and, you know, from there, I, I've done a lot of angel investments, all sorts of other things. But in, in the more recent years, I've really refocused on my own personal health and have gone through a 20 plus year journey, but over the last five years, much more intense journey to really change my life pretty significantly from losing 40 pounds um, and you know now feeling great and getting rid of brain fog and sleeping well compared to working 100 hours a week and trying to exercise and even at one point doing marathons and Ironmans to kind of really damaging my body. Um, you know, so there's been an arc over time uh, but more recently, I found kind of really what works for me. Wow. Okay. So you've gone from, so what, what was it that made you make that transition from sort of the startups to the, <laughs> the you know, that health and fitness thing? Cause it's, that's quite a, it's quite a knock. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different thing. Um, and if you told me a few years ago I'd be doing this or writing a book, I'd tell you you're crazy. Um, but I think it was a combination of two things. One, just many years of frustration, struggling, trying to lose weight, listening to conventional wisdom and nothing happening um, or very little happening. Uh, and then having a little more time as I sold the business to focus on myself and my, you know, kind of personal health in the business. I always understood deeply that as an entrepreneur, we had to empower our employees to be healthy, give them gym memberships and, you know, uh, bring in coaches and interesting information for them to learn in the office. But I ignored myself, right? Cause, um, I, I knew what was good. I just didn't do it myself at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So because you and I have um, in that sense, I came I came from a different I worked in confectionery initially. So ah. to go from confectionery to personal development is a little bit of a weird journey as well. But also is 
I got into this because I went through like a life-changing crucible health sort of thing. And by the by, the looks of it, you've you're kind of like a mythbuster, aren't you? You, you kind of like look at the things that people are saying. You know, you, like you know, like you've talked about fat, maybe like fad dieting, or mm-hmm. what's the next great workout to do, or um, you know, those yeah. sort of things. And, and looking on your website, you do you've got so many cool different things about you know you're going back to vegan stuff and all of that sort of stuff. So. For you, what is what has that mission that you are doing is starting, I guess, first aiming at you, and then now you're ready because your book launched yesterday, didn't it? So now it's there out to go, okay, now I want to help the world to make these changes as well. Yeah, I think it all comes from this frustration that I experienced over the years and, you know, being told this is what to do and and doing it to an extreme, right? Like eat less, you know, eat a, a low fat diet um, and exercise more. I, I did that to absolute extremes without success. And I think a lot of people struggle with that for a lot of reasons. Um, so I, I really created a framework to um, one, empower others to be able to discover what works for them rather than me telling them. But also in, in the book, I kind of go through the main categories of what to think about um, diet and fuel, exercise, obviously, mindfulness and meditation and breathing, um, supplementation or vitamins, uh, and then all the way through sleep. Because these are a lot of the factors that we ignore. And there's also really interesting stuff around heat exposure and cold exposure and some things that we can do to, quote unquote, hack or, you know, improve ourselves, right? Um, But at the end of the day, um, you know, if I can empower others to find what works for them, and, you know, everyone always talks about diet, and I didn't want to write a diet book, but there's a lot of information in the book about diet because it is an important factor in a lot of what we do. Um, and I, we can talk about what diet has worked for me, which is a high fat, low carbohydrate, ketogenic type diet. Um, and I've tested all sorts of other ones, but that doesn't mean it works for everyone. No, but it's just, it's just interesting, isn't it? Because you talked about those, you kind of like knew some of this information when you were, um, if you want in your other life, mm-hmm. but you didn't necessarily take it on. And no doubt because of what you do now you you like me come against an awful lot of these highly motivated um successful orientated people who disregard an awful lot of this stuff i.e you know let's just take for example sleep quality mindfulness um even if we just look at those ones you know um they can like look at that because i it's not for me yet when we look at it from that scientific crucial basis it's vital to help us be you know let's use the cliche the best version of ourselves yeah i challenge you know very successful people of all types um, and especially those running businesses to really step back and think like if i could optimize myself and be my best version i kind of tell people like be be amazing how much better would you be in your business for everyone else um, I think when you frame it that way, it's, it's very interesting. I wish someone had done that for me because I thought I was doing the best thing for my business by just working really hard and killing myself. And yeah. I wasn't, right? I, I, I wasn't productive. I was wasting time at night. I was eating poorly. I was making bad decisions. I, like all those things were happening, but I thought, oh, I'm just working really hard, so it's all okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And, and for you, did, um, did you feel like you hit that brick wall in order for you to make those changes? 
did you literally so so for example for me i basically got a set of illnesses that basically meant i couldn't work for six years and it was that radical change to turn and go i need to do something very different with my life yeah. for you was there did you go into a burnout stage or did you go into that or did you just all of a sudden very suddenly be i'm going to be proactive I think luckily, um, because my age, I didn't get totally burnt out. Like I was getting there. I had brain fog in the, every afternoon. I was not productive. I was wasting a lot of time trying to, you know, watch Netflix and do other things instead of do work because I was procrastinating, right? Um, feeling tired all the time, falling asleep at odd times and odd places, right? Like those types of things were clues. But really, the frustration came to a boiling point when. After training for, I had already done Boston Marathon training for an Ironman um, and doing hundreds of hours on the bike and, I mean, massive expenditures of calories, right, and activity. And I get to the race and I'm putting on the spandex bike shorts and there's like fat hanging over the side. I'm like, something's not working. Like, I'm doing to an extreme what I've been told to do, which is burn more calories, burn more calories. And I'm, I'm overweight. Like, what's happening? Right. And it, I think it's a combination of frustration and anger at that point. Yeah. Okay. So let's, you know, you've got this, you've got this book that's just come out. Um, uh, there's definitely two areas I would like to talk about, and that's your um, experimentation or experience with the sleep side. And yeah. certainly that's sort of the mindful mindfulness side, because that's something that I keep banging against with my clients all the time. Yep. But um, can you go into um, some of the strategies that you've used? Because you talk about sort of the strategy in your book. Um, is it the four? Uh, what is it again? Oh, my notes have disappeared. Um, you talk about certain sort of strategies you do to help yourself achieve that level of success. The four steps. That's what I'm looking for. Um, sure. What are what are those four steps in the, the most simplest form? Because I'm sure you could talk yeah. about it all day. Yeah. So the the four steps is really the framework, and this is a framework I just in essence stole from a continuous integration, continuous improvement, or uh, A/B testing framework. Right. The first one is identify the problems, form experiments. The next one is measure, test, and you know figure out what's going on. The next one is actually improve so now we're like putting these into our routine and making sure it's happening and the last one is evolve which kind of brings it all back full circle where we start the process again um, but to sleep specifically um, I sleep is one of those things that always gets ignored right like my mom always told me you need to get good sleep and you need to go to bed and I ignored it right <laughs> um, because it was my mom telling me so it must not have been uh, good right um, and you know I wish that I'd listened more but I did all sorts of crazy testing for sleep. I did the in-lab and in-home studies where they put all the things on your face and the diodes and all this stuff, right? Um, I did I measured everything, tried everything. And ultimately what I discovered, like a few simple steps improve sleep the most. Um, one is respect the bedroom. So the bedroom is for sleeping and maybe one other activity, but it's definitely not for watching television, working, computers, phones, anything like that. Um, and that goes to like reducing light, but also just understanding that your body then knows when you're in the bedroom, it's for sleeping, right? Um, going to bed between 9, 9.30, maybe 10 o'clock the latest. My target time is 9.30. Um, waking up naturally without an alarm clock, roughly when the sun rises and when you go to bed early, that just happens, right? Um, and, you know, not eating within three hours of bedtime, 
like those simple set of things, although very difficult to implement because they're big changes for a lot of us, make huge impacts on sleep. And then from there, we can talk about all sorts of other stuff. Do we supplement with magnesium? What type of magnesium? You know, uh, different mattresses. And I have a, a really cool new cooling device that cools the mattress, uh, pillows, whatever else, right? Yeah. But, but it's the interesting thing because a lot of the stuff that um, certainly I've experienced in, in sort of getting myself back to where I needed to be, as you say, they're not difficult to implement, but they're not... Um, they're not challenging things. You know, they're quite simple strategies mm. that just need to be consistently implemented in order for you to make that change. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot of people that just go out there and go, no, no, it's got to be really difficult to, to make these changes. And they almost in some ways step back when it's so simple. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, no, no, hang on to, to, you know, ultimately I suppose is when you look at all of the stuff that's going on about weight the the traditional way of thinking i think based on my understanding is is you eat less move more to to its most simplest thing now i'm sure there's complicated things in that but again we move away from that and we go to different ways and i guess our bodies respond in different ways but it's that simple initial start just to start getting the ball rolling yeah i think like you bring up an important point. So I, I think that concept, although simple, happens to be wrong, yeah. right? So the right, less okay. exercise more is actually inherently wrong, right? And, you know, we can, we can argue about the, the science about it. Um, and, and I get both sides. However, um, what I don't get is how anyone can argue against the data. And the data is very clear. Over the last 20, 30, or 40 years, we've told people, exercise more which means an explosion of gyms, billion dollar industry, right? Across the world, which never existed, you know, 50 years ago, right? Um, we, we told people to eat less fat <clears throat> and eat less meat. People have eaten way less fat and way less meat. They've unfortunately replaced it with carbohydrates and sugar. Um, but, you know, so people have listened as a whole, both in the United States, the UK, and most modern, you know, uh, westernized places that have a Western diet. Um, and what we've seen is the inverse of what should happen, right? If it was true that we ate less and exercised more, we should see weight being reduced. We're seeing obesity increase, type two diabetes increase, heart disease increase, all of those things on a clear uptick from the time that we started telling people to do these things. So the data is clear, it's not working, um, absent of if we think it should work or not, or the science or whatever else. Mm. And in, in your experience, does geographical DNA location have uh, a difference in how the body, uh, how, yeah. you know, what food types and stuff they should eat? Absolutely. I think this is a really interesting area that we don't know enough about yet, but inherently this seems to make a lot of sense, right? Like if, if my ancestors, you know, were not used to eating bananas and now I eat bananas a lot, maybe it doesn't work for me for a number of reasons, right? Um, and I think that like there, there's a, a number of factors of that. But when we step back a little bit further and say like, how long have humans been eating, you know, uh, this type of a diet? It's a very short period of time. Like the agricultural revolution where we started farming on mass scale is only a few thousand years old, right? Um, and, you know, if we go even further back, there was definitely not processed sugar. There was no processed foods. So our bodies have not had a chance to adapt. 
meaning that maybe in 50,000 or 100,000 years from now, we could survive on a pure sugar diet, right? And natural selection would allow that to happen, but along the way, a lot of people would die. There'd be a lot of type 2 diabetes and heart disease and all sorts of other problems, right? Um, but we've sped up the amount of carbohydrates and sugar that we eat into a 50-year period where we need 50,000 years, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, and with regards to, there's a couple of more questions before we move to the second one. With regards to the mindfulness, what's your experience and what sort of things have helped you in that area? Yeah, so this is a really interesting area because people have started talking about it a lot more lately, right? Like we see these meditation applications and other stuff, and I'm actually not the biggest fan of them. Um, I think the the first is the key to understanding what mindfulness and meditation means. And it's very simple at its heart, which is just being present in the current moment um, and experiencing what we are experiencing now, which could be fear, pain, thoughts, whatever it is. And without judgment, accepting it and moving on. Right. Um, that I think is at its base. Right. And we use a number of techniques that people relate to that, which can include meditation and breathing and all sorts of things. But people always ask me, like, where do I start? Like, do I have to sit down for three hours quietly with my eyes closed? No, like, I would just start by breathing for a minute or two with your eyes closed. Standing, sitting, whatever's comfortable, doesn't matter. But the action of closing your eyes um, has a lot of power. And the action of breathing properly has tremendous power, right? Like, we've forgotten how to breathe as modern humans. Like, a deep breath, our stomach actually expands out, which is very rare for everyone because we all walk around with a held stomach in so we don't look fat, right? Um, and, and our chest expands and it feels very uncomfortable for a lot of people to breathe fully and deeply now because it's so odd. But as humans, it's very natural. Yeah, and, and it's um, watch a baby breathe because they, they don't know it's wrong. Right. Well, oh, their not, stomach gets not, huge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not wrong, actually. It's just <laughs> the, the vanity gets in the way as you get older. Yeah. And if, if you if you even look at a baby walking around, right? When a baby walks around, their stomach is way out, right? Because they've they know what muscles to use naturally. We do the opposite, right? Like we suck our stomach in and kind of pull our hips back and like this weird look. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And lastly, the third one, which is the thing that I really love is that experimentation mm. is, do you, do you feel that an, uh, enough people out there are experimenting with different things like this, whether it's the mindset stuff, whether it's the, you know, the, the physical stuff. I mean, obviously, the, the, obviously there's not that enough in the, in the, in the global sense, yeah. but do you think there's more and more people in that entrepreneurial space or that that space of you know high performance that are starting to experiment with these sort of things i think we're seeing a lot of adoption in the high performance space across the board not just entrepreneurs but any high performer um, and we're starting to see more and more people understand the impact of each of these things and i think it often starts with diet because it's the easiest and most accepted thing to quote unquote test but if you look at ultra high performers People have been understanding this for a long time and utilizing all sorts of techniques and practices um, that we hear about, right? And like, if you look at like Tony Robbins, who's kind of a model for this type of thing, right? Like he has all sorts of very expensive and difficult things to do. 
which is not what everyone else needs to do. However, we should understand that as a model and say there is power in optimizing ourselves because there's no way I could stand on stage for 12 plus hours like he does at that energy level, right? Like that is a created state that he has perfected over time using a lot of these techniques. Yeah, and you, you see him go for his deep, deep plunge and um, there's a great uh, documentary on Netflix. I think it's called I'm Not Your Guru, I think it's called. Mm. And it goes through his morning thing where, he, you know, he dumps into an ice cold pool and he does all these different things. And it's, as you say, it's a very, very practiced routine in order to get him to where he needs to be in order to perform to that level. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think what's also key there is he has a routine, right? Like we, we don't have to copy the routine, but I do say that if we, if you talk to the most successful people in the world, they all have a routine and they follow it consistently again and again and again. Yeah, totally. Totally. Hey guys, so just before we jump over to the second part of the show, I wanted to let you know that the closed group Success IQ Alliance is now open to anyone who wants to be part of the community. I'm really excited to do this because I really want to meet more people to get a community growing of like-minded people looking at creating the exceptional life. So all you need to do is search on Facebook for Success IQ Alliance and I look forward to seeing you there. Take care. Brilliant. Okay, so we're going to go to the second part of the show now where I get an opportunity to ask you some questions I ask every single guest who comes on the show. So number one is, on average, how much time a week do you dedicate to self-development? That's body, mind, and soul. Yeah, this is a great question. I, I'd say more and more so lately. Um, I even schedule on my calendar listening to audiobooks. Um, so I put it like as an hour time to listen. So I'd say on a weekly basis, uh, at least 15 to 20 hours. And that's excluding um, uh, time like practicing yoga, which is actually like doing something, but like expanding my mind and you know looking for new things. Quite a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And do you, when you, so the like the audio stuff that you listen to, do you like consuming the whole book or do you like listening to something like Blinkist or, you know, those shortened down things to kind of like give you a taste of what the book is before you start reading it? What's your sort of uh, philosophy with that? I listen to all my books. Um, one, I always listen at 2x speed, if not faster. Um, and I try to listen to the whole book. However, I'm not fearful of if I don't like the book, just stop it. Right? Like, to me, like that's the important factor. But like once I like a book and I'm getting value out of it, if it's fiction or nonfiction, doesn't matter. If I enjoy it, then I continue. Um, and I do like to finish it. Okay. And so going on to question two, what book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? Hmm. There's so many books here. So I'll give you one that I've reread recently that I really enjoyed, um, which is The Evolution of Everything by Matt Ridley. Um, th this book uh, reminds me a lot of Enlightenment Now um, by Steve Pickerton, which is a, which is a great book too. Um, but one, it reminds us that everything's always moving forward and evolving. Um, gives a lot of great historical examples of things that we thought may have you know, ended the world as we know it and you know, how things continue to move, but also puts everything in a very positive light of like things today are better than they were yesterday because of this evolutionary process that just happens in everything. That, we, that we're involved in. 
Um, so recently I'd say that probably has had the most impact, but there's so many books that I love. Like it, that's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. It is. Cause when you, when you're speaking to someone who really f- looks at personal development as important, um, it is. I mean, you, you, you can, I mean, I'm, you know, I've got about 500 books sitting behind me and it's like, I can't just pick one, but I do, I do like putting people on, I do like putting people on the hot seat, so to speak. Um, okay. Question number three. Um, what app makes the biggest impact to your business or life? Oh, this, this is really difficult since I really don't use many. Um, I deleted all social media from my phone. Um, I, I mean, quite honestly, like it's not necessarily an app, but like email for me, is highly effective and highly efficient because I have a system and a way that I process it and use it. Um, and I get far more done because of multitasking with email and multiple people across multiple time zones and all sorts of stuff. Um, so I would consider that like the closest to an app, but outside of that, I mean, I have very little on my phone. There's some stuff on there like nest and things to be able to change the temperature at my house, which is nice, but doesn't change my life. <laughs> yeah. So, so, because this is really interesting to me and it's quite often I'm speaking to people who have been very, very successful like yourself who have been in the tech world yet have very little tech that they use as on, on their phone. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, you know, from someone who isn't in that space and I come, you know, I read an article recently about um, Bill Gates doing the same and yes. um, there was someone else doing the same and what 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 is that where does that philosophy or thought process come from because you know if we look at it now is is you know you've got you've got the book out you you've got you know you're doing all of this work but yet you don't have that on your phone and it's it's, it's intriguing where does that come from I I think it's a combination of understanding the true impact of it. Um, I mean, if if we step back and look at it, and I always say, like, I want to know what the leaders of these companies tell their kids, right? And and it's actually pretty clear, like, Steve Jobs didn't allow his kids to have iPads. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that was the Um, one, yeah. And and I I would assume, uh, I don't know this, but um, that... Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook would not allow his kids when old enough to use Facebook because he knows what it does. Right. Um, And it's not in a negative way, right? Like it's a business built it like good for him. Right. However, there are limits to it. And that filter of what we tell our kids is the ultimate filter, I think. Um, And when I tell my daughter, like you shouldn't be on social media, but I am, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So I've removed myself from as much of that as possible. Okay. Okay. So it's more, it's more from your point of view, it's more like a congressy of what you are teaching your children helps because you're being congruent with the fact that, well, you know, dad doesn't have it on theirs either. I think we're just also more sensitive too. like, we think deeper about what we tell our kids than we tell ourselves. Yeah, that, 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 yeah no doubt that one. <laughs> I totally agree with that one. <laughs> okay. Question number four, what's been your biggest business mistake, which turned into a valuable lesson and what did it teach you? Yeah. Big, biggest business mistake is during uh, our time at Grasshopper, um, me and my partner, we got very bored in the business as like a lot of entrepreneurs do. And we kept retelling or reinforcing this lie that we had hit the top of growth and we couldn't grow anymore. Right. And because of that, we started looking at other businesses and we invested over a million dollars in building other things that all but one failed. Um, 
where if we had just stepped back and said, you know, A, that's not true, because every time we told ourselves it wasn't true, we hit more growth and we, we continued to do well. Um, but it was, it's just that we accepted it and then we built it as part of our story uh, because we wanted it to be the story so we could do something else, right? And it cost us a lot of money and time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, question number five is what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? Yeah, so I, I gave up on this a long time ago. I actually hate the term work-life balance. Um, I'm more about integration. Like it's all about integration. So people make fun of me when I go on vacation, like, oh, you're responding to emails. You shouldn't do that. I'm like, you know what? First of all, I got up at like 6 a.m. and I'll be done by 8 a.m. and you haven't eaten breakfast yet. And I'm skipping breakfast. <laughs> I'm fasting anyway. So um, honestly, like it did not disrupt my day at all. Um, I did it when most everyone else was sleeping. Um, and it means like I don't have to catch up when I get back. Um, and it gives me flexibility. I can go on vacation whenever I want because vacation is just a different location with the same activities happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose is you've got when people, uh, you know, often I get, you know, I, we we talk about prioritizing, you know, just as you say in the morning, everyone's asleep. Priority can be, I'm going to do some work because then when everyone's awake, we can get on with it. And yeah. I think is, is when they don't prioritize it correctly, as you've, you know, as you've said, is, is there's this big amount of stress that comes, oh, God, I've got to get back to the office and I'm going to have 6,000 emails to answer to and, and, you know, and everything else. But if you can prioritize those things right, you don't have that. It's a bit like going on holiday and doing your laundry before you come home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, don't have, right? you know, it's the same principle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You arrive back ready to go rather than yeah. arrive back with a pile of stuff to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, question number six. What advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Yeah, so this is advice I actually got, um, and I probably didn't listen to as early as I should have, but um, which is just go out and do something. Rather than talking about it or discussing it or whatever, do something and make a small step forward because each small step forward is an opportunity that you would not have had. Right. So um, all of the things that have been great in my life have happened because of that. Like if I had sat there and talked about it, nothing would have happened. No, 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 that makes. Yeah, because I think, yes. And sometimes that's fear, isn't it? It's fear of, oh, well, I don't want to be judged because it's not going to work or whatever. But the fact is, is that you don't know until you've started. Yeah, I mean, I think we fear um, a lot of things in life, but what stops us from doing things is we fear losing what we have, but we also feel we we fear not getting what we want. Right. Um, and when you put those two together, we fear everything and it just par paralyzes us. Right. Um, and we have to break out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Question number seven, what is your definition of success? This has changed a lot uh, over the years. I was always very, um, driven in terms of a monetary success. And I, as an entrepreneur, I think that's very common. Um, I looked at it as like, you know, how successful and big and money wise can this be and number of employees and, you know, those types of things. Today, I've really changed my frame a lot. As I started to think about like, what does my legacy mean? Like, what, what do I give back to my kids? And it's not money, right? It's, it's experiences and it's learning. Um, so my success now is really very much empowering others to be able to do things that I've done um, in, in a lot of ways. 
That's cool. Brilliant. Okay. Question number eight. Do you have any daily routines or rituals that have made a huge impact to your day? Oh, I live by routines. Uh, my, my household makes fun of me because of it. Um, I mean, even if I don't have time to work out at the gym, I still go to the gym and shower and get ready at the gym because it's part of my routine. Like it's how I know the day is starting. Right. Um, and I, I live by those routines. Um, they do change a little bit when I travel, but it's a, it then becomes a travel routine. Right. So like it's different from the daily routine, but it's my travel routine. Um, and then I live by my calendar. Right. So if it's not on my calendar, it does not happen. Um, and that's why I put things like listen to audiobook for an hour or something, right? Like I will be very stringent on my calendar. Um, and I, I also push back on people a lot. And like, I get a lot of requests, like, can we have a meeting? Can we have coffee? Can we have lunch? My answer is pretty much always no. However, I will have a phone call with you, right? Because the wasted time between, I don't need a lunch, right? Most of the time I'm eating a very different schedule than most people and a different set of foods and whatever. Um, but I don't need you to buy me coffee or lunch and you don't really want to buy me coffee or lunch and it wastes both of our time. So let's exchange some emails and have a phone call. Yeah. 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 And it's because then it's using your time because it's valuable. So it, therefore you're using your time very efficiently rather than that, 20 minutes to get there and 20 minutes to get back and, and whatever you've just been very I can stack I can time. stack things throughout the whole day that way yeah okay okay so um okay so question number nine is um basically you pick a number between um one and 20 these are lessons that I've learned um from recovering from my illness and then starting a business um so could you pick a number between one and ten please David seven Number seven is dedicate yourself to a lifetime of learning. Um, so this really came from me personally. Is, is I left school at 16. I was dyslexic. Um, I was told that I, well, from the education authority, I was told that I wasn't the most intelligent. Um, but when I came out the other side and I started to look at what do I need to do with my life in order to get to where it is, I really started to understand that valuable lesson of learning now we've talked a little bit about you know you dedicate time to that that listening to an audiobook i don't think i've uh, 130 odd guests on this show i don't think i've had one that doesn't go oh well i don't i i spend x amount of time doing learning but how how important do you really think that self-education is because now you can choose what you want to learn rather yeah. than you know, when you're at school and it's just, you've got to learn French and you might never go to France. Um, <laughs> you know, what, well, how, how important do you think that, that self-learning is? Yeah, I, I think either we're learning or we're dying. Um, and, you know, learning can mean so many different things to each person. Um, it doesn't have to mean reading a book. It doesn't have to mean, you know, doing Spanish, right? Um, it can just be expanding our mind. It could be learning how to play golf. It could be literally anything because as the, the mind and the body learn something new, we experience all sorts of different things and it reminds the muscles and even the brain how to do that, right? Um, and I, I always encourage my kids specifically, but anyone like, the most important thing about learning is learning how to learn, right? And I had a similar experience to you. Like I am severely dyslexic, had lots of learning disabilities. I was, you know, way behind in reading and writing for a number of years and went to tutoring all like a lot of effort was put into that. 
Um, and, you know, as a result of it, the, the most important lesson I learned was how I learn. And that's why I listen to audiobooks instead of reading them because when I hear something, I can 100% take it in. If I read it, I have to read it five times. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I do is, is I buy the audio book and I buy the physical book. And you remember when I remember when you were a kid where you used to have those stories? Yeah, follow along. Yeah. Read, yeah. And I do that and then I write notes in the physical book. So I can so it does that. But I've I've done that for ages and it's just again, it's my learning process. I know there's people in the past that have looked at it and you know, taken the mick, but at the end of the day it's like, well, that's just how I do it. So sort off. Basically. <laughs> I mean, look, whatever, whatever works for the individual. Totally. Right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. So unfortunately we've come to the end of the show. Um, could you please share how people could get hold of your book or anything else and how, um, you know, anything else that you could share that how people can find out more about you? Sure. Yeah. So um, obviously available on Amazon um, in every version possible, hardcover, softcover, Kindle, Audible. Um, so everyone can consume it the way they want. Uh, unstoppablebook.com um, also has a ton of information, also extra information that's not in the book, um, as well as some bonus chapters. Uh, and my weekly email newsletter that's available on that site, unstoppablebook.com, um, where I share kind of three to five things that I'm thinking about reading, doing, experimenting with, watching, um, and have, have had really good feedback on that. And a lot of people engage every week with me on, on the email newsletter as well. That's cool. Can I ask, where did the title come from? Yeah, so this was an interesting process. We had a different title. We A-B tested it, and this came out far superior. Um, and we had tried lots of titles, but I think it really speaks to this idea of being your best self and, you know, being amazing. Uh, and when we think about that, like, what does it really mean? It means like being unstoppable in everything that we do. Yeah, no, that, that's brilliant. Um, David, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you. I hope you get to the, the best selling lists and all of those sort of things. Um, I'm looking forward to reading it as well. And just take this final opportunity just to wish you the greatest success. Thanks for having me. First of all, let me just say a huge and massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know you're listening. I really appreciate the support. If you would like to know more about me, the services I offer, how to connect with me on social media, then please visit www.successiq.co.uk. Remember, if you're interested in learning some great strategies that I teach or want to be part of the amazingly supportive community where you can find lives, Q&A sessions and other great educational empowering resources, then take action and search for Success IQ Alliance on Facebook and join this brilliant group. It would be lovely to see you there. You can tune in and listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn and of course iTunes. And if you have enjoyed the show and have the time, please leave a rating and review because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm aspiring to do. I wish you the greatest success and remember, don't settle for mediocrity. Go out there and create and live the exceptional. Have a lovely week and remember, just one conversation can create a lifetime of results. See you next week. <laughs>